created live on Fireside. Welcome, I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you can be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. I am your host, Lori Lee Binstock. Everyone has an opportunity to ask me or our guests questions by requesting to hop on stage or sending a message in the chat box. I will definitely try to get to your question, but I do ask that everyone be respectful. Today's guest is Alexandra Docheva. Alexandra is the uh, author of It Really Is Simple, A Holistic Approach to Self-Confidence. She came to the U.S. from Bulgaria in 2000 after earning a bachelor's degree in music from the National Academy of Music in Sofia, and she earned a Doctor of Musical Arts in Violin Performance from Louisiana State University in 2007. She has been practicing as a registered nurse since 2011 with a strong passion for educating patients on attaining optimal health. Her mission is to help people overcome self-imposed limitations that prevent many from realizing their goals, finding peace of mind, and acquiring prosperity. Alexandra, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura Lee. It's such a pleasure to be your guest. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I, I wanted to bring up your accolades as a, um, as a musician. I, I think that's incredible and but I you know I I think about that and you know in your book as someone who has performed at such a high level in a competitive um you know career in in orchestra you know I'm assuming you know just like Olympians who perform at high levels and in front of crowds that once it stops or once you're done within that career path that it can seem like like nothing else is really as exciting or enough. Um, I don't know if that is what you, how you're feeling, but I want to know what what was the transition like from for you as a performer. Oh, that's a great question. Well, actually, um, everything became much more exciting in my life once I decided to quit music, morally, mm. because I was not competitive enough to be a musician. But the problem was. I gathered the courage to act on this understanding in my early 30s. So I went through an early midlife crisis with the entire feeling of zero accomplishment in life, uh, lagging in progress compared to my, because you always compare yourself to others, right? Mm. And yes, I had earned all these degrees, the bachelor's, master's, doctoral, and then I was employed in an orchestra. But I also saw the market started crumbling on musicians uh, from 2006 to 2008 when the financial crisis Mm -hmm. happened. Many orchestras bankrupted in the United States because there is no governmental support for culture like there is in the European countries. For example, in Germany, the government supports many of their orchestras because they thrive on culture and they see as a very prestigious thing to support symphony orchestras in the United States, that is not the case. So we relied on rich people, basically large business owners, um, other like 
music lovers to support us financially and pay our salaries through the year. Management models changed, business models changed, and that's where things started getting really bad. And the problem when you start playing music professionally, because I was born into a family of professional musicians mm. uh, from very early childhood, you don't really learn anything but music for the 12 years in school because I was in a specialized music school. Uh, we learned absolutely minimal science. Then I went into the music academy in Sofia and then came to the States on a student visa to earn my master's and doctoral degree in uh, violin. When I realized I really, even though I made great progress as a player, there were people who were much better than me. And when you go to compete uh, in an orchestra audition uh, against 40 to 500 people for one spot, then reality hits you on the head and it's like you're self-traumatized because you know that you put all these thousands of hours over 20 years to perfect your skills. And after 20, 25 years being in one profession, most people think of retirement while you are now knocking on the door for jobs for the first time because now you're at the level where you supposedly uh, are competitive and can win that orchestra position. And then orchestras start bankrupting on top of that, and there is no guarantee that you're going to win another position in the next four or five years when you're competing against so many awesome players. So this whole understanding gradually it creeped on me. But it took time. And in my late 20s, I was telling my parents, look, I need to think of something else because I'm not going to make it. And they were from Bulgaria over the Skype. Right? They said, no, you put all this work. You have to. You have to persevere. And I said, guys, I'm practicing seven to nine hours a day. I've done this for the last 15 years. And I know nothing else about life. I felt that my brain was starting to get smaller and smaller and really limited as far as real life, how other people lived, what else was out there. And it became a self-fulfilling um, prophecy that I became very depressed, extremely depressed. So I wasn't traumatized really by anybody personally, but the whole situation, um, I felt helpless for several years. And I hit rock bottom in 2008 when uh, two of my uh, closest, I mean, they were not closest friends, but like really great violinists uh, in the same professor's class that I was in Louisiana, uh, that had already uh, graduated from very prestigious graduate schools as violinists. Each of them decided to pursue a completely different profession because they thought they weren't good enough and they were way better than me. So that hit me like a slap on the face. And I realized I really didn't have any more uh, future in this profession. And it was a very difficult time. I also went through a divorce at that point, which added to the uh, misery, <laughs> my mindset. And uh, then I found out that nursing actually is a very demanded profession. I could have a job everywhere in the world, but best of all, I didn't have to spend another 11 years in college, laurel to mm. obtain the degree. The only problem was though, that I had no science knowledge base, let alone in English at age 32. So I borrowed a anatomy and physiology textbook from someone I knew. I saw the page where the book was big, 1200 pages, and I read the first chapter the first several days. Nothing was familiar in the terminology, so I started memorizing because I had very good photographic memory. I was excellent at uh, cramming texts and book smart if I wanted to be. And uh, I enrolled into the college, the local community college. I paid out of pocket for the prerequisite classes the first year. And uh, it's all started. I got accepted into a very competitive nursing school at St. Joseph's College of Nursing uh, in Syracuse, New York. And the next three years were a roller coaster because I worked three jobs, part-time jobs to support myself. 
and I studied again seven to nine hours a day. I basically switched my practice of violin seven to nine hours a day to reading the books because I was one of, to my disappointment, one of the few people in my class who actually bothered to read these books from cover to cover. Not only that, but I did this twice with each book before the classes even started because I was so behind with the knowledge base and I knew this and I knew this time you can't cheat, you can't pretend that you are better than others when you are not. You have to be really, really good at what you're doing because even though the job is in high demand, you have to be on top of your game to score a good job as a nurse and uh, remain uh, on the position that you want. So this lasted for three years and I became a nurse um, and then it became even more interesting. So for one thing, leading music, to answer your question, was great because it opened my mind to so many other uh, science subjects and knowledge that I had deprived myself from before in the name of music, if that makes sense. Mm. Well, that's right? it, it sounds like it was a very heavy burden to carry before you found your, your way into nursing. Yes, it was for me. For me, it was unfortunately, unfortunately. Mm, well, yeah, that is a lot of pressure. And, I, I, and you're absolutely not the only person who, who, who has to go through that. And I think oh. it's amazing that you've created a book. You authored a yes. book. It really is simple, a holistic approach to self-confidence. Can you tell me, I, I'm assuming, but I'd like you to just tell, um, talk about why you wrote this book. So the people know that if I could do it, they can do it too. Mm -hmm. um, the nursing was not the, the end of the journey. Uh, once I became a nurse and I saw how the healthcare system was heavily profiteering from patients with chronic diseases with potential for multiple organ damage, mm -hmm. um, I started asking myself questions that very few of my colleagues were asking themselves, uh, but many of them were depressed and traumatized by the profession, early burnout. And so there were these two types of people. They, Some of them were oblivious to what the system was doing and they were fully believing that they were helping humanity by being nurses and working the long hours and everything and maintaining people on these uh, pharmaceutical drugs for decades and decades and decades. They basically keep you barely alive and kind of barely functional so you can do your stuff, but you still remain sick from diseases that can be reversed with proper diet, exercise, and um, several other approaches. And then you had the other people in nursing and uh, medicine in general who were burnt out from frustration that the system really wasn't helping these heavily chronically sick patients that would drag their diseases, one, two, or three chronic diseases at a time for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And we are the most expensive healthcare system in the world with supposedly the most advanced medicine, but we have the highest number of these sick people with chronic diseases, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and type 2 diabetes. And when you see this doesn't make sense, you need to start thinking. And you say, okay, so for one thing, the system is not helping the patients. The education that's not done is not right. And that's also traumatizing to the healthcare worker to see. And I knew that the colleagues that were really depressed, and there were a lot of them, there, there are high suicide rates in doctors, uh, some nurses. Uh, you have to wonder why, okay? Because you're in one of the most fulfilling professions, one of the most respected professions, yet you are not happy where you are. So I started leading by example by adopting a whole foods organic plant-based diet, uh, tripled my fitness efforts. I was a martial artist very intensely for 12 years too. That helped me very much persevere through the whole changing of professions. And then um, I started prioritizing on teaching patients who would listen 
how to stop being lucrative commodities to the healthcare system. That was very important to me because the teaching aspect of nursing, depending where you work, you sometimes have time to teach the patient and other times you don't. And people started listening and said, why don't you write something about it? And then there was another aspect with the healthcare profession because you work all these long hours, but then you see people around you are financially broke and they freely talk about that. And that's how I created my three real estate rental businesses on top of the nursing career. That started seven years after I became a nurse. So I'm not only a nurse now, but I'm also a real estate investor and options trader. And I do teach people how to create perpetual wealth on top of their jobs, because it's nice to know that you can be a worker bee or you can start your own business on the side. You can do both. You can do one or the other, but you have to be able to do both things willingly to be flexible, to be marketable, to be hard to replace and then you become as independent as you can possibly be. And that's what I have explained in the book by dividing life for simplicity into five very important categories. Wow. Can you talk about those those five essential aspects that you were just touching on? Yeah. So we're talking about health, career, finances, relationships, and spiritual well-being. Many people tend to focus on one aspect thinking it's the most problematic when actually the other four may need just as much attention, if not more. So if you have people with a chronic health condition, you know that their finances are suffering as well because a lot of money gets sucked out of their bank accounts. Your insurance doesn't cover everything in your chronic condition. At some point, you end up paying a lot of money to the healthcare entities and putting bread on their table. On the other hand, people who don't have good financial education and work the long hours and don't know how to invest their saved money to create uh, nice cash flowing assets that are unrelated to a job, they may end up very sick and very depressed and very anxious and very discouraged and neglect their health. And so finances and health are very connected. Uh, people tend to confuse career with finances. They're not the same. Your career is the way to be useful to society, helpful to others, and develop excellent skills to be needed and hard to replace, while your finances is the actual growth of your money that you um, learn to be disciplined to save and then invest in assets that, again, will produce some a lot of additional income streams so that at some point you can say, I want to work, I don't want to work, and either way, it's fine. You don't depend on a job right? So these two, health and finances and career, are very tightly interlocked when people have missing um, understanding of how they can balance. And uh, balance is not a good word, but how they can be abundant in all these three aspects, their health discipline, their career discipline, and their financial discipline. I mean, you know how people hate their jobs. Many people mm. just hate being on the job because they spend all of their money on things that don't make, don't have any value. And then they need to work more and more and more to cover their debt from credit cards, uh, mortgages, car payments. And it just never ends, never ends. They don't see any end inside. But if you have the assets to produce the income and grow that, your job makes a much more sense on top of being helpful to other people by solving their problems with your skills, okay? And then that leads to the spiritual satisfaction of what you do and how you provide for others through your skills and for yourself through your financial discipline and health understanding that you are not any less important than everybody else when it comes to your health and caring for yourself with excellent, healthy, uncontaminated nutrition, uh, fitness, to maintain 
lean, nice muscle mass and be able to do cardio and be very enduring. Because if you really have like high ambitions and high goals, you have to be in excellent health mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. You have to endure all of your goals and the requirements that go with your goals if you want to have ambitious uh, achievements. And you also have to present to the people that you want to cooperate with you in your efforts. They need to get the impression that you are 100% healthy because that brings a completely different level of respect into those with whom you want to, um, you know, collaborate and either help or be helped by. It's a very subtle uh, thing that you need to notice and understand to position yourself everywhere you go with your health appearance, with your financial knowledge and with your career skills. And that whole combined brings the spiritual satisfaction to that fourth aspect of life, your spirituality. And it naturally leads you to the five aspect, which is fifth aspect, which is your relationships. Based on all these goals that you place into the other four aspects, you will be very careful in choosing your relationships and who you spend your time with and who you influence yourself by and who you want to influence to help f- for the future and so who would listen to you. Who, you, Because, you know, there are people who you give advice, but they'll never listen. They, they will never follow up that advice. So don't waste your time with those people, but give your knowledge to somebody who will actually benefit. Mm-hmm. And the same applies when you choose your relationships for who you're learning from, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, I f- feel like it's safe to say that when all of those five, you know, essential aspects of life are in order, that self-confidence really just builds on that. Right. Um, and that's the holistic. That's how it is holistic because it's all encompassing. Right. And you, you know, you talk about really looking at everything as a whole, your whole life, the entirety of it when building self-confidence and self-esteem. Can you talk about why that is so important? Because it is my understanding that, I mean, my experience has shown that, um, shown that uh, the more independent I am with everything I do, the better I feel and the more confident I feel. But to be truly independent in life, you need to gain a very solid understanding about how you manage these five aspects of your life, because none of them, I'm sorry, is any less important than the other uh, mm-hmm. four. Your health is no less important than your career, your finances, spirituality, and relationships. And that applies to all the other aspects in relation to the remaining four. It is a very um, fine game that you play. You have to be extremely honest with yourself, extremely honest with yourself. And that was the hardest thing for me in 2008, uh, recognizing where I was lacking. And it was a lot, a lot where I was lacking um, in my own um, relation with myself because of the way I had battered myself with the violin for so long and constantly blaming myself for the lack of my success. And um, most of your listeners, see, that's the funny part. Most of your listeners have been legitimately traumatized by other people, but I want them to know that you can traumatize yourself just as successfully mm-hmm. <laughs> because even sometimes for the lack of, uh, say, okay, so this person was heard by somebody else, but they did it so well. And I couldn't do that. I haven't been traumatized by anybody per se, but I'm still not where I want to be. And that is very demoralizing, self-demoralizing. And if you can get out of that, the sooner the better. Like, that's great. Um, it took me forever, though. What seemed like forever it took me like four or five years to understand that I really had the power to reverse my mindset yeah. from my own, uh, you know, digging the hole and 
burying myself deeper and deeper into self-doubt um, and unapproving of myself for all for the wrong reasons because after I went into nursing and finances, these were two areas completely unfamiliar to me. I was clueless like you won't believe, Laurelly. <laughs> Both of them. And I was doubting so much. And the reason why I waited five years to go into nursing in the first place was that I really didn't believe that I could learn anything new after having done the same thing for 20 years. That was the main problem. And that's what's really limiting is what you tell yourself. Yes. Right. It's and and I feel like we all do that. And and I you know I do want to make a point. Like little t trauma, big t trauma. It all the the same behaviors. They're still they're still limiting. Right. We still deal with feeling like we're enough as someone who who's dealt with little t trauma like yourself or a big t trauma like myself. We still yeah. struggle with the same things. Um, so I, I, I do want to make a point that, you know, once trauma, sh- it's, it's all relative to us. And I do think that um, really building self-confidence is, 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 can be difficult. And I like what you said about shifting, being able to shift. That's the hardest part. And I feel like for people who deal with, you know, little, tra- little T traumas, they, they feel like, oh, nothing, nothing bad has happened to me. So, and they, and like you said, they, they're really down on them, themselves because they're like, nothing seriously bad happened to me. No one abused me or anything. Why can't I move forward? And yeah, because you're your, your own worst enemy all of a sudden. And, mm-hmm. but you need to also look at it objectively and stop bashing yourself for it and reverse the mindset. That was the challenge for me. But once it happened, I, I actually found out that the discipline required for my health was the exact same discipline for that would help me progress tremendously in the other four life aspects. It was the same exact approach, which I have described in the book in detail, and it works across the board with all the other aspects of life. But how do you shift? Like, I, I know you said it took four years. Some people, it takes 20, 30 years to realize like, oh, I need to shift my mindset. Um, because I know a lot of people are like, I'm kind of comfortable where I am now because a lot of people who sit in their sadness and their depression for so long, they're so used to it. Like, they, they can't even imagine what any type of growth or confidence or, or um, consistent happiness exactly. could feel like. How does someone, I mean, I, how does someone get out of that? You know, for me, it was, for, you know, it was, you know, it took me hitting rock bottom to really realize like, oh, I really need to get my shit together. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, in my culture, uh, the Eastern European cultures basically were famous for being happy when we're sad. There is this stereotype <laughs> created for us. And I hit rock bottom and the way I shifted was I simply finally got sick of myself. I got sick of my way of thinking. I got sick of my mental habits. And I was like, that's it. That's how I shifted because I really felt um, disgusted with my way of thinking. And I couldn't take it anymore. That was between 2008 and 2010, 11. Did it feel like when you said, I'm going to change and I'm going to go into nursing, did it feel overwhelming to kind of start from the bottom? Because you just started absorbing books like 
like they were feeding you, mm-hmm. right? Yes. With the way you were talking about reading these textbooks. Um, it was very overwhelming, but I was pissed off <laughs> at myself. And that held me, that held me above water because I was just so angry at that point that I was like, you're going to do it. And I don't care how, you know, traumatized you think you are. There are people in much worse position than you. And you're going to now get on your feet, do the work. And that's it. I just put my voice in my head and made myself do it. But I was really, really angry. I was very sad because of everything else that was going on with the divorce and all that. But I was really angry at myself that I let it go for so long. And I was tired of my own self. And that's that's what did the shift for me, actually. That was my rock bottom. You, 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 you know, you talked about spirituality being one of these five pillars. Yes. Were you a spiritual person prior to all of this, you know, back in when you were in Bulgaria? Well, uh, depending how you define spiritual, I was, uh, well, yes and no. I looked through many ways to find spirituality. I thought I was spiritual, but it was pretty self-deceiving for many years. Um, I now define spirituality, if I can... Um, through meditation, you know, the meditative state of mind, when you clear your mind from petty thoughts that don't contribute to your personal growth, you do this every day, hopefully. I mean, some people pray. I like to meditate because I don't talk. I listen to the world when I meditate, because if you pray, even in silence, you still hear your own voice. And I'm the type of person that needs to stop hearing her own voice for 15 minutes and half an hour. That's how I clear my mind. So when that clarity happens, it's a state of very nice conscious awareness, but it's very relaxed. So that state of mind, when I bring throughout all the challenges of my day, I achieve the meditative state of mind through the biggest challenges of the day. That's a big part of my spirituality. And then the other part is inspiration, which is the nourishment for the mind. So we have the uh, meditation, which is clearing out of the mind of the petty thoughts that contribute nothing to your personal growth. And then you find inspiration, nourishment, food for the mind from people or events that inspire you to keep growing. And I try to find this also throughout my day with every cool event that happens because I communicate with lots of patients. I meet, I have obviously tenants because I'm, um, I own real estate, rental real estate through my three real estate businesses. So these are different types of challenges with uh, handling all these uh, aspects of business or a job or sick people or people in need of financial help with my clients because I started that coaching business as well for holistic confidence building. And I um, work with my clients on these all five aspects. But when you get inspired by other people's challenges and how they tackle them, how they overcome came a challenge or anything you see really brings you inspiration, then that's another, the second side of spirituality. And I like to integrate both in my daily living. Wow. Yes. I think that I, I love what you said there because, you know, when I met, I, I, I've, I remember prior to me going into therapy and I'm, I'm sure um, folks have heard me say this plenty of times, but I, you know, I would do yoga and then, you know, there was the Shavasana, the corpse pose where you meditate mm-hmm. um, and really integrate your practice into that that moment. I, I never found the importance of meditation because at that time I would be, you know, making my grocery list in my head and what what my to-do list was. I, I felt like I was, that was an unproductive part of my, my day. Um, 
And so when I went into treatment and I had to meditate and learn to meditate every day, you're right. It was, I needed to not hear my voice. That was, that, that, and then that was really hard. That took a lot of work um, to actually meditate and not hear my voice and not hear myself say, oh, I'm not meditating. I can't stop thinking. <laughs> um, right, right. But the more you did it, the, the, the better it was. And then I realized the benefit of getting out of my head and really listening to the universe and what, what I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm going about my day seeing connections and seeing signs because I, I'm more aware now. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the mind revolts. The mind's job is to think. And when you try to control it, it revolts by sending more and more thoughts chaotically at you when you first uh, begin practicing meditation. And that's where most people get discouraged and quit because they tell me, I just can't focus that way. And I tell them, well, that's exactly the point and you missed it already, right? <laughs> um, yes, you, you start thinking about things and you gently say, okay, I'm thinking and you gently redirect your focus on your breathing again. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to do without beating yourself down because that's what the mind will do. You're basically kind of preventing it from doing its job by telling it, okay, we're not going to think now. We're going to just just be and focus on the breathing. And it, it's hard for several months, not to mention that um, actually trying to stay in an erect pose with your spine and everything and gently readjust your position because we all tend to slouch a little bit, you know. Um, That's also part of the meditation process and people get frustrated because when you breathe deeply, your muscles start hurting at some point if you do it right. And most people are not trained to breathe that way. So that's another point of discouragement for them. And then they use it as an excuse to stop meditating with everything, not just with uh, meditation, uh, laurally, but dieting, exercising, uh, detoxification, uh, career mindset, every, all these aspects, they have their excuse excuses and points of discouragement pretty much very early on after starting because there is always the first excitement moment that lasts maybe a week or two and then you start hitting the real problems of what you're doing and then you (laughs) kind of say okay that was a nice idea but maybe next time And, and, and that's where many people don't go anywhere that's exactly it's not just with meditation right wow yep yeah that's that's exactly right it's it's with all these aspects in life um, and it's, it's, it is really hard, but like, but it, it, everything great, it does take some work. Um, and especially in a holistic approach, which, which I love because, you know, when you talked earlier in our, in our conversation, you talked about how, you know, these people are depending so much on, you know, all these pharmaceuticals, um, to kind of get them through their day. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask you what was that like to talk to people about that? Because there are some people who they've depended on it their whole lives. And, you know, some are, people are reluctant to change. Yes. Um, fortunately, more and more people are becoming aware of this whole scam and of their own ability to reverse things because there are more um, alternative doctors coming forward to that. And people are listening and watching more documentaries. But um, if you are used to see, I could with the, the prime example is with my parents. I managed to convince my mother to do certain things with her life, which she's doing great. And I couldn't convince my father. I couldn't scare him enough 
by telling him what his drugs would do for him and with him. And as a result, I mean, he died at 72 because I mm -hmm. couldn't scare him enough, right? It's hard to listen to your own family members or convince your own family members. But people who have been on medications for decades, they are sick of it themselves. And um, many of them already try to wean themselves off. But it's hard to make the concept with the nutritious value, the medicinal value of food, uh, with these people, especially if they're a generation that, you know, they were taught that certain things are absolutely necessary for them when they really are not. Not only are certain products completely unnecessary, but they actually <laughs> create their diseases in the first place. And to suggest that to certain patients is a challenge. But if you explain it in detail, and if you have the patients without, you know, making fun of them or whoever taught them, which is usually their parents, of course, yeah. um, what they know, then they are more willing to listen. You have a different approach with each patient. You have to respect their um, you know, way of thinking and where they come from. That's the first thing you need to find out. What made you uh, pertain and stick with this belief system that you have about your nutrition, about your exercise, about... Uh, and and no, pretty much nobody has heard of detox. Like 98% of people have no clue about detox, let alone that you really should be doing it daily. <laughs> Since you're exposed to toxins every day between 20,000 and 2 million toxins, it's a completely foreign concept because nobody, nobody in the medical world really teaches people that. And it's scary because you have a cancer epidemic in the country with the most advanced and most expensive healthcare system. And it's a billion-dollar industry, the cancer industry itself. And we have to raise people's awareness to these things. Why is it happening, right? Um, and what can be done about, done about that? And it's a long process, Laura Lee. Some people are very willing to listen. Others need a lot of convincing. And then you have the type that are absolutely trusting of what they read in the websites that the government has placed and their doctors are saying. And... You can't change their mind to save your life and you have to respect that too. I say, okay, I mean, that's uh, up to you, but I just hate to see you suffering. That's all. <laughs> well, I, I would really want to hear you talk about the detox, the daily detox. Can you go into that? I can. Uh, there are many ways to detox. So you can do it with uh, specific herbals. Uh, you can go through a detox expert. That's going to be more expensive. You can do it by yourself at home, which is what I do, because like I said, I just love being independent. But because before I chose my method, I did the research scientifically, financially, everything, because when you detox every day, that's a budget, right? And uh, we, I think between me and my boyfriend, we really have found the least expensive way to do that on top of our whole foods, organic, vegan diet that we practice without any compromise for mm -hmm. convenience or whatever. Um, but uh, you can detox with uh, coffee enema. You can detox with juicing of very, uh, usually the most sour and most bitter herbs that are the ones that detox the best. They have the biggest amount of antioxidants. But the whole purpose of the detox, Laurelie, you have to clear your liver. There are detox formulations for many organ types because the liver is not the only filter in your body that really needs to be kept in excellent condition to support your immune system and its ability to fight diseases, including mutating cells known as cancer. The kidneys are the other type of filter, so there are also kidney detox methods. But I focus on the liver because it performs well over 200, 300 functions knowingly into our bodies, in our bodies. And then there are supposedly 200 other functions that scientists are yet to discover. But your liver is the main, the main um, really organ of clearing of your body. 
and the liver secretes the glutathione, which is a complex compound molecule that is a powerful antioxidant. But like with everything with age, it tends to decrease. So the liver decreases its secretion of glutathione in your body. Then you add the um, increasing environmental and food pollution around us. So the liver becomes overwhelmed with the decreasing glutathione and increasing pollution. So we need to help it by regenerating its qualities, by helping it promoting higher glutathione secretion. And a coffee enema is a very powerful way to do that because it increases its secretion of glutathione by 650%. So 6.5 times every time you detox. And um, the organic coffee, if you buy it from a good website, it takes, uh, I pay 60 bucks and between me and my boyfriend lasts us two and a half months. So that's a very inexpensive way to do it. It's easy. Um, detox experts, there are several online, very good ones with good reputation, but then you pay 200, 300, $400 a month, right? So it's for their, uh, supplements, herbal supplements that they do. Either way, either way, you do your research, see what best fits you, right? But, Liver detox is one of the things that uh, nobody teaches at school and you don't have to be a dying alcoholic to detox your liver. In fact, the healthiest people detox their livers daily or at least several times a week to the best of my knowledge. Wow, wow. that is amazing information. I do want to ask, is there anything that you would like to add? Uh, well, depending if your listeners want to know anything else, but... Uh, I just don't like when people think they have reached their, um, they're limited because their environment dictates limitations. Mm. And, uh, many of your listeners have been through really, really serious events in their lives because I listened to several of your, um, episodes, very impressed with your guests, mm-hmm. how they have, uh, overcome horrific events in their lives. But, there are so many people who have been through that and become very successful in spite of their challenges. And the strongest people I know are those that have realized how great of an achievement they have done by overcoming their adversities and become successful regardless of that. And I hope this serves as inspiration to most people who are still doubting their abilities to make amazing strides in their lives. Well, I, I'm very grateful for the information that you provide. And I, I know that it is extremely helpful. Um, and I mean, just listening to you talk and you t- and earlier when you said, you know, you didn't nothing, know anything outside of music and, and the knowledge that you are dropping now is like, it, it, could you have imagined this, this now? Um, and so it, it is amazing. And this is helpful for any, anyone but especially trauma survivors, because, you know, there's there's so much work that needs to be done. And so I am so grateful to have had you on and, and share your expertise and your knowledge. Um, and yes, and I, I, I do want to say thank you for, for um, taking the time to join me today. My pleasure, Laurelie. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, well, that was Alexandra. Thank you so much. Uh, Do- Alexandra Docheva, author of It Really Is Simple, A Holistic Approach to Self-Confidence. For more info on Alexandra, you can click on the Scrolling Fortune cookie right there on your screen, and that will send you straight to her book to purchase. You can also head over to my website, traumasurvivorthriver.com. That's traumasurvivorthriver.com. November's issue of Authentic Insider comes out tomorrow. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list. 
Um, and, you know, you can get that magazine in your inbox monthly. I would like to thank you so much for joining me today. We hope to see you next Wednesday, November 2nd, when I speak with survive, the survivor of the 2015 Amtrak train crash, Gerilyn Ritter, and her journey to healing mentally and physically. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast on Fireside. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Take care.